Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, shout out to the men's ministry. Chris, right there. Chris is our volunteer men's director, and we have things lined up for the future. We have a camping trip coming up. This last week, we went mini golfing, which is kind of like a little sad to say, oh, the men's group, we went mini golfing. So Chris said, well, let's do combat mini golf. And I said, what is that? And he said, bring a knife. And I said, wait, what in the world? And somebody else overheard that. Was it, uh, and he was, he was like, don't bring a gun to a gun. Don't bring a knife to a gun, to a gunfight. And I said, what in the world is going to happen? So just in case you were wondering, uh, we, when we mini golfed, some, some of the holes you had to cl- close your eyes. Some of the holes you had to do left-handed. Some of the holes, if you missed, you had to say a verse to do jumping jacks. So that, that is what combat mini golf is in case you were wondering. But a shout out to the men's group. It's, it's beautiful to see in a church like this size, the men's ministry and the men so connected and studying the word together and, and going on a retreat next month, September 10th and 11th, to go into the mountains and celebrate what the Lord is doing to get away. I'm very proud of you men for doing that. That's a big deal. So shout out to the men's ministry. Turn, if you would, please, to the book of Galatians. We're in a sermon series. I think this is week three. Am I right, Brett? Three or four uh, on the book of Galatians. And uh, we're looking through the whole book. We've started in verse one of chapter one. We're going to go through the end. And when we study a book of the Bible like this, we really have to get into the text. And so it's kind of like when we read larger percentages of the text, it's kind of like eating your vegetables. I'm sure Everyone would like to eat the cake and ice cream passages of the Bible, but eating your vegetables, like these whole passages of scripture, make whole healthy Christians. And so we're going to read quite a bit here. Galatians chapter one, verse 10. You can put your finger there. We will put it on the screen as well. And I'm going to read all the way to chapter two, verse five. And along the way, I'm going to throw in some explanations. And so this will be a little bit longer of a text that we read right now. And so I want you to lean into it, to be a whole Christian, to see this whole picture of what Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia. So if you're able to stand for a little bit of time, would you stand with me? We're going to read Galatians chapter one, verse 10. Paul says this, he starts off, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And there's something, have you heard the term people pleasing? That's different than serving someone and lifting them up and, and being hospitable to them. People pleasing is trying to do something for someone so that they will actually like you or be nice to you. And Paul's saying, I have something to say here that's hard and it's, it's not going to be easy and I'm gonna say it because I want to please God and not people. And here's what he says, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. So he's gonna talk a whole bunch about how this gospel is not of human origin. Verse 12 says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it. Look very closely. It says, by revelation from Jesus Christ. So who's it from? 
Jesus Christ. And how did he receive it? By revelation. He, now he's, I'm gonna read a whole bunch here where he says, I didn't get it from the apostles. I didn't get it from the disciples. I got it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so here it is. Here's a long text right here. It's basically Paul's story. He says, you've heard of my previous life of Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father because he was. He was a Jew murdering and killing Christians. And then this happens, verse 15. But when God, who said, and it's kind of a run-on sentence. This is kind of how Paul writes. Uh, I apologize on behalf of Paul. I'll try to summarize. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So he doesn't go to the apostles. He doesn't go to the disciples. In fact, he did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Rather, I, re I went into Arabia, like the desert. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, quite a while, he, did, he does go. I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, and stayed with him for just 15 days. That's not very long. I, verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, he mentions the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then he continues, I went to Syria, Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. And then it keeps going on. Meeting privately with those esteemed. Uh, did I skip ahead? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, verse, chapter two, verse one. Then after 14 years. So finally, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along. Also, I went in response to a revelation, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. So finally, he gets together with the disciples and the apostles. He has received this message of the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ, and he presents it to the other disciples so that he wanted to be sure that he was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And then he says this, a bizarre sentence, and then he'll explain it. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And then he explains, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we had in Christ and to make us slaves. And then he says, but we didn't even give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. <gasps> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we see here this revelation that's been given by you to Paul, and he is now writing this letter that we hold dear as scripture, your word. And so, Lord, we pray that this message of truth would be preserved amongst us. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good news. You can be free. That's good news. Do, are you, are we, do, do we say amen still? 
We can be free. This is the message of truth. This is the message of the gospel. And it is truly good news. And I think the freedom, we sometimes, uh, we take it for granted. I think in our nation, we take freedom for granted until we see some other place where freedom is being crushed. Maybe some of us are looking at the news in Afghanistan and we see freedom being crushed. It's like, oh, wow, we really have it here. We, we have freedom here. Thank God. Or there's certain times in the calendar year, uh, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, where we think and we consider like, yes, those who have given their lives, we are so thankful. We have freedoms here. We take it for granted until maybe physically, metaphorically, we are chained, we are imprisoned, we are behind bars, we are in a room in a sinking ship, and all we can think about, all we want is freedom. All we want is to be free from this imprison that we're in. And metaphorically, this is how a lot of people live their lives. I imagine in a room this big, there's people in here suffering and, and being enchained by things like the things of life, the worries of this world, debt, like the work week end cycles, mistakes, thinking about the past. I'm sure there's a lot of people in here struggling with addictions of lots of different kinds. I read a book this past week. It's kind of a Christian classic. I think you might be surprised that I just now read it. But how many of you have read The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson? It's a fantastic book, a little book about him being a country peep, uh, pastor in the 1950s and having this burden to go to inner city, New York City in the 50s, probably one of the worst, hardest places, highest crime rate in the world at that time. It was a bad place. And this David Wilkerson, who kind of retires here in Colorado Springs, and so I, I've, I've seen him personally. Personally. Um, he wrote this book that chronicling his, his trips to New York City to try to evangelize like the hardest street criminals, addicts, gang members of that time in New York City. And he says that he was in this conversation with a girl and some other people were watching along from this gang and other street kids. And this girl was saying, this message of Jesus, it sounds great, but it's not for me. And he's like, oh, well, why not? Because she said, I'm a heroin addict and every day I sell myself and I go get money and I support my addiction and there's no way out of this. Everyone that I've known that has an addiction like this has died before they were 30 years old. And David Wilkerson and is trying to present to her the gospel and says, this gospel is for you. And, and everybody in the room was just like, no, like she's a heroin addict. This, it can't really help her, can it? And he says, yes, it can. The gospel can reach the addicted. The, the gospel can reach everyone. It can set us free. You, daughter, he says in the book, are a child of God. The God is the creator and you are the creation and he can set you free. And in the book, she gives her life to the Lord. And it's just a tremendous story of God's grace, freeing people from all kinds of different things. And, and maybe you're in here and you're like, well, I don't have that kind of addiction, but don't we all struggle with something? Don't we all struggle with sin? And the good news today is that Jesus can set us free even from sin and so much more. Like Jesus can actually set us free from the result of sin, which is death. Like Jesus says this, so don't take my word for it. Look at what Jesus has to say in the Gospel of John. Many of you may know this verse. It's very popular, very encouraging. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And so he's speaking in this mystery, like even though you die, you will live if you believe in Jesus, that you can be free, not only from sin and addictions in the past, but you can be free from 
death. If this is good news, would you say amen? Amen. Jesus continues, though the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me, Jesus says this, will never die. And he asks this question, do you believe this? Like the fear of death, the death itself, this monster of a slave master, Jesus has put death to death, and we can be free. Amen? Amen. That's point number one. Uh, Point number two is this, that do not become spiritual slaves. Point number two, do not become spiritual slaves. After giving our lives to the Lord and receiving freedom, it's so easy to become spiritual slaves to something. I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes about what freedom looks like. I think of like the 1960s when Amsterdam, the city that's in Europe, kind of led the way amongst the Western world and legalizing lots of different things. You could look up the history of it and they legalized different drugs. They legalized prostitution and all kinds of things that all around the Western world, things were illegal. Amsterdam opened themselves up and said, we're a free city and you can go into coffee shops and order like off a menu different drugs. And they were just free, we're free. And so people flocked there because of that freedom only to find themselves, as you can imagine, bound by other sins and addictions. Like they went there and said, oh, this is free, freedom only to find themselves in other addictions. And so then there's this cycle that happens maybe in society where we see these things and we see the consequences. So then we, as just human beings, we make rules for ourselves, for other peoples, and we say, yeah, Jesus is good, but then you, you need to add these rules too. This is just human nature. It's not correct. It is heresy to add anything to the gospel, but it's what human nature does. And Paul writes to the Galatians. And a couple weeks ago, we started off and I I said the statement that the Bible or this book is not written to us, it's written for us. How many of you remember that? Were you here? And I said, I'm speaking literally right now. And did I mention that I have a pet peeve when people misuse the word literally? Like the other day, someone was like, we were literally laughing our heads off. (laughs) No, they weren't. But this letter is literally written to the churches in this region of Galatia. And Paul writes to them because he says, Paul's words, some Jewish believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we had in Christ and to make us slaves is what Paul says is what's going on here. And, and, And what Paul wants to say is that you cannot, you cannot add anything to the gospel. So Paul writes to this primitive church, like the first church, like think about this, like many of us in here have grandparents and great-grandparents who were Christians, and, and culture has, has formed in such a way that, that we can look back and say, oh, this is what it means, to this is what it looks like to be a Christian. But here, Paul's writing to people that are brand new Christians, no grandparents, no great-grandparents, teaching us, showing us what Christianity is looking like. And so he corrects them because some people have come in and they have said that you need to add something to the gospel. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that. What they're specifically adding, so getting into 
into the context of Galatians is that people have come in and they're saying you need to uh, follow the Jewish feasts and festivals. Uh, You need to follow the Sabbath rules. Men, I have some very bad news for you. Uh, Furthermore, you need to obey all the laws of the Old Testament and the social laws of the time. Because there's nothing new here. Like we as humans, we just add rules upon rules. Like we see something and we're like, well, now we have to, you know, add more rules to make it more clear. And we have to add extra rules to that. It's like the rule of the Sabbath. Like we see this in Jesus' time. If you look in the Old Testament and you read about the Sabbath, you could look at Exodus 31, some other pretty short passages on what it means to follow the Sabbath rule. The Sabbath rule is do no Work, don't do any work. That's the rule of the Sabbath. And, and, and it's an important rule. It's one of the commandments. But it's never spelled out as to like what exactly is work and, and when and, and how. And so Jewish people, just being human, I'm not making fun of them, we all do this. They added to the laws and they said, well, you can't heal anyone. You can't do medicine on the Sabbath. But maybe there, you know, there, there should be some, uh, you, maybe you need to do a little work. Let's say if an animal falls into a hole, because you don't want an animal, right? Like a cow is spending the night in a hole, right? So on the Sabbath day, you could take a, a, an animal out of a hole. And so Jesus comes and he sees a man with like a, a withered hand, it says in the book of Matthew. And Jesus says to this man with a withered hand, he says, stretch out your hand. And sure enough, like, His hand is healed right in front of people's eyes. And they're like, whoa. You know what their reaction is? You shouldn't have done that on the Sabbath. Couldn't you have waited till tomorrow? Like, wow, you saw a miracle. Like if this guy's hand was withered and his bone structure, I have no idea what it looked like, but it was withered and he healed it. And your reaction is, man, couldn't you have waited like a couple hours? Like that's their mindset. And Jesus twisted on them. He says, don't you have provisions and your own little rules that if an animal falls in the hole, you could lift them out? What's more important here? An animal in a hole or this guy's like healing. And Jesus like breaks or fulfills, I should say. That's how he talks about it. The Old Testament law. And it, this is nothing new because Paul says there's now people coming into the Christian church and trying to do the same kind of thing with their rules and adding on and pet projects. Paul says it this way in chapter two, verse four. He says, this matter arose because false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Slaves to what? Or their own pet projects, their own little things that we like to say and do in the gospel, the own that we like to add to the gospel, I should say. There's all these things. I could take a whole sermon and, and, and talk to us about, okay, here we are in Manitou 2021. How does this apply to us? This Jewish context of the first church is like the feasts and festivals and not eating together and men, we have some bad news for you, et cetera, et cetera. But how do we apply that for today? And there's a really Really good sermon. You, you all can go and listen to it. It's from New Life North. Last week, Pastor Daniel Grothy of New Life Friday Night spoke at New Life North, and you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. And it's an incredible sermon outlining, like, here's what this could mean for our day and age. Here's the pet projects we add to the gospel and say, well, here's our group. This is what we do. And if you're not really in line with us, then you're, you're not fully saved. And, if, and another group will say, well, here's what we do, and this is what Christians 
Christianity looks like. And if you're not in line with this, well, then you're not really saved. And Paul is saying, have we lost our minds? That's a paraphrase. Have we lost our minds? Jesus has freed us from these things. The gospel is enough for salvation. What's really going on here, especially with the meals thing in the book of Galatians, is that there's some Christians with a Jewish background who are being told by this group. They're coming in and saying, hey, you, you Christians who have a Jewish background, you can't eat a meal. Like you can't share a meal with these guys who are also Christians, but they have a Gentile background. Why? Because there's these people saying that these Christians who have Gentile background are unclean and you can't eat together. And Paul is saying, like, like, have you all, this is my paraphrase, have you lost your mind? He directly says, are you so foolish? He even calls them, chapter three, verse one, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Christ was crucified before your very eyes and here you are fighting over like not eating together. Are you insane? Once again, my paraphrase and emphasis. But he does say, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In this book, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Don't add to the gospel your pet projects and your ways of thinking through the rules. We have freedom in Christ. Not just freedom, but like freedom from sin, freedom from death itself. And Paul wants to, for us, preserve the gospel. Preserve the gospel from adding on anything to it and making people carry the weight of these rules and these regulations. Does anybody like uh, camping, RV camping, tent camping, car camping? Those are all great kinds of camping. You could bring all your stuff. You could be in the woods. It's wonderful. When we do the men's camping trip, it'll be car camping. So you could bring all the comforts of home and still be in the woods. That's great. But there's another kind of camping that most of you would probably say this is insanity, and it's called backpacking. Anybody like backpacking? Yes. Okay. I see those hands. This is when you have to carry your stuff, like not just from your car to set up your tent, but when you carry your stuff, let's say a mile or more into the woods. This last Friday, I got to go backpacking with my son, Rowan. He's seven, and uh, he, we hiked seven miles total, three and a half in, three and a half back, with another group of dads and their uh, oldest or second oldest kids, and it was wonderful. And I got into this mindset of like, how can I shrink my pack size down, right? Because you, you don't want to carry a ton of stuff. I mean, if you're going car camping, when we go men's camping, you bring all your stuff. Bring three tents if you want. Who cares? But when you're hiking it in, you got you to gotta limit your stuff or you're just not going to get there. You're going to break a leg trying to get to where you're going. And so you begin to think, okay, do I really need this? And the mindset, at least in my mind, is, like, is kind of like fear. Like, okay, well, what happens if it's really cold? Maybe I should bring two sleeping bags. Oh, well, what happens if the wind really picks up? Maybe I should bring an extra set of stakes. What happens if Rowan falls in the water? Well, maybe I should bring him a whole other outfit. Maybe, you know, what happens if we uh, get lost? Maybe I should bring a week's worth of food. Maybe, you know, what happens if I need to wash my hands? Maybe I should bring a kitchen sink. What happens if, <laughs> you know, mind, like you're kind of in fear, like what happens if I better be prepared? And then what you can end up doing, if you're a backpacker, you already know this, is carrying way too much stuff and not even being able to get to where you're going. It's like all these burdens you're carrying out of fear end up making you a slave to what you're carrying. Some of you are with me with that analogy. I look around, some of you are just like, this is weird. Um, but that's like, we add things to faith 
and the gospel, I think out of fear ultimately, because what if? Like what if Jesus isn't enough and you really need to follow these rules as well? Because in your mind, it's like, well, maybe they're right. Like the, the what ifs. What if like we don't have this um, thing, like Jesus really isn't enough and I should have done this stuff. Um, I, I was gonna rabbit trail. I think we have enough time. It's, it's um, a rabbit trail into uh, conspiracy theories for just a second. You okay with this? It's gonna get really weird, a little rabbit trail for just a minute. You okay with this? <laughs> so years ago at the Mill Sunday School, and I see Mr. Wilcox there. Who else? Does anybody else remember the Mill Sunday School? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see the hand. Okay. So we would take the summertime. We'd always do like topics that were pertinent to young adults' life. I was the pastor of the young adults ministry. That's what the Mill was. Sometimes I just say that, assuming you know what that is. But the young adults ministry, we'd do topics. We would do books of the Bible. And then in the summertime, we would sometimes take a break and just do something fun. And so I thought it'd be really fun fun to do a whole series, a month-long sermon series, like, uh, like four Sundays on conspir- conspiracy theories. And so I started off talking, and I was really going to use that as, as a way to talk about what belief is and, and good beliefs versus bad beliefs. So that was kind of the thing. Uh, and so I started off talking about uh, all these conspiracy theories. I listed aliens. I listed the prison under uh, the DIA airport. You know this one? I listed uh, Illuminati stuff. I listed Nephilim stuff. I listed Area 51 stuff, JFK assassination stuff. And I was just kind of jovial and joking about it for, I don't know, for a little while. You know me, I kind of joke about stuff. It's maybe humor. It's maybe a way of dealing with stress. I don't know. So I'm talking about it, all this stuff. And then after the service, people came up. It's like, Joe, you know, that, that one conspiracy theory that you made fun of it's not that funny. And let me tell you why. And I was like, oh. And this began to happen or even sadder. Like people were like, Joe, you you were joking about that. But you know, I have family members that that's, you get them going talking about that. And that's all they will talk about. And it really like began like, oh, this is a real thing. So a room this big, I'm sure you all are crazy. Like there's conspiracy (laughs) theories all in here. And there shouldn't be because my point, like I really wrestled with this. I mean, it was a, it was a weird sermon series. This is like years ago that, that, that I taught. And it, I was like, man, at the heart of every conspiracy theory really is fear. Like there's no good news at the end of a conspiracy theory. There's no conspiracy theory that's like, there's these people out there and they're watching you. And then at some point when you're least expecting it, they're going to put in your mailbox an envelope of $100 bills. And you're like, what, what's, what, that sounds awesome. What do you mean? That's not a conspiracy theory. I'd welcome that. Like at, at the end of no conspiracy theory is like a pot of gold. After, at the end of every conspiracy theory is like some sort of fear that's like dry. If you don't know this, like what if there really is this thing going on and everybody knows about it and they're watching you? And what if like because you're not ready, they're going to get you? Like at the bottom of every conspiracy theory is some part of fear. And I thought, man, this is all this same kind of thinking that, that what if it's the what ifs I need to be ready. I need to be, you know, I need to add something to the gospel because what if they're right? What if these people in Galatia that have come in, these heretics, Paul says these people that are spying on us to make us slaves. What if maybe they're a little right that the gospel really isn't enough and we need to add these things. It's at the bottom of it is fear, and Jesus wants to break that too. He does. Point number three is this. I'm wrapping up the sermon now, that Jesus 
is enough for our salvation. Jesus is enough for our salvation. If you believe that, would you say amen? amen. Grace, this word, is, is all about the, the good news and how salvation works and Jesus being enough. Grace, uh, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It may be a little cheesy, but I, I, man, it's so helpful to think through what grace is and what it means that it's Jesus is enough for us. The, the ASL, do you know this? The ASL, the American Sign Language for grace is kind of like this, like a, like a bomb going off inside of you. I was just thought, man, that's really what it is, isn't it? Like God's grace, as, as we think about it as Christians, comes inside of us and from the inside out, like goes out from there and good works and wanting to obey God and his ways and care for other people. It just comes up out of us because his mercy and his grace is inside of us. I have really good news for you. And it's, it's something Brett was te- touching on during the offering moment that God loves you just as much on the bad days and on the good days. God's love is, is constant. And that's very hard for us undergoing a bad day. You're like, man, I've messed up. Like, how can God love me the same? Well, it's his love is constant. And this whole week I thought about, man, there's got to be a story to, to um, illustrate this because stories are really important. And, and I, I had a couple stories planned. I, I ended up crossing those ones out. And I thought, man, you know what the best story about this is? Like this point that Jesus loves us, the good on the good days and on the bad days is the story. It's, it's my favorite parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus, the best storyteller, tells probably, in my opinion, the best story ever. There's something about this particular parable that just resonates with the human experience and us trying to understand the love of God. And I might be a little biased because I'm a son and I have a brother. I might be a little biased because I'm a dad and I have sons. But the story is told. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, so bear with me. Give me grace as I kind of retell the story that Jesus told. Jesus says there's a father, and we all know that the father represents a good, holy, awesome, loving God. There's a father with two sons. The younger one asks the dad, says, Dad, would you give me all the money you're going to give me when you die? Because you're going to die anyways at some point. I would rather have that money now. Can you imagine? And so Jesus tells this parable, like the 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 audacity of that kid to do that. And then the, the, the audacity of the father to be like, yeah, here, let me write you a check. Like, so he gives him all this money. Like, what of a little brat? And this little brat, the younger son, goes out and what does he do? He does, I'm sure, what the father knew he, what he was gonna do. He, he's a prodigal. Prodigal means like to live lavishly, to throw your money away, to, to spend it in sin and all these horrible things. And he just runs out of money. Then it says there's a famine. And we have no idea what a famine is in our world. Like famine is like when there's no food and there's really no food and people are killing each other for food. Like a famine is a horrible situation that, that I pray we never, ever, ever, ever even get close to experiencing. And so there's a famine and he, he, there's no food. He somehow gets a job working with pigs and there's really no comparison with that ancient uh, idea of a Jewish person having to work with an unclean animal like that. So like the lowest of the low, he's working with pigs and he's longing to eat what? What the pigs are eating. Like it's just should, everyone should be like throwing up right now in their mouths, thinking about like, like really like that? Like in a famine, what are you feeding the pigs in a famine? Like that's absolutely disgusting. And he just longed for that. It says he comes to his senses and he thought, man, 
Maybe I can go back and be just a hired hand with my father. I'm sure he's forgotten about me. Maybe he doesn't say that, but this is me paraphrasing. Maybe I can, you know, I'm sure because I disowned him, he's disowned me, but maybe, just maybe I can go back and be a servant. And it says like when he's a long way off walking to this house, what does the dad do? His dad sees him and runs to him. Like him on his worst day, turning his back on the father, the father running to this son who's just, just going the direction of the father. What a beautiful picture of God's love for us on the worst of days. And then this whole parable, it kind of gets told again from the perspective of the older son. The older son has been with the father all along and he, he sees this scene and he's so jealous, he's angry. He says, dad, I've been obeying all your rules. I never once disobeyed me. How can you love this son of yours? And what does the father do? He begs that son to enter into this like feast with him. And he says, son, everything I have is yours. And so that I see this as like our own lives, like on our good days, And on our bad days, as sons and daughters of the Lord coming before him and his infinite love for us, his grace is enough. Would you bow your heads with me? The band's gonna come and and lead us. Brett's gonna lead us to communion in a minute. But I want us to just pause. Pause and consider being invited into the Father's feast. The son that has run away from God's grace now comes to his senses and on his worst of days is walking back humbly to the Father and God the Father welcomes him and says, come, come into this feast. And the older son who's obeyed all the rules, spent his whole life trying to never disobey the Father, coming to God on his best of days, um, he's invited in saying, leave aside these things. Everything I have is yours. The grace of the Lord is sufficient. The kingdom of God is a table set before us and it's a feast. It's a feast on God's own body and blood, this mystery of his life being poured out to enter into us. And we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to, f- to fear death because he says that, that if we believe in him, then, then though we die, we, we won't, we'll live. And if we really spend our lives believing in him, then we will never die. These are Jesus' words. These are your words, God. So we pray to you, we thank you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.